Hello and welcome. I'm David. Thanks so much for joining me this week. It's May the 6th when I'm recording this, so the beginning of the fifth month of 2022. And a lot of stuff's been going on. And I want to provide just a quick overview of a few things that I learned and a few things we wrote about on AEI Premium. Of course, the first piece, let me hop over here. We are thinking about the USDA's WASDE report. That's coming up next Thursday on the 12th. And it's going to be the first look at 2022-2023 marketing year. So they're going to have projections about the size of the U.S. corn crop, the size of the U.S. soybean crop, the usage, market year expected average price. And of course, they're going to update that for the next several months. You know, a year from now, we'll still be talking about that. But it's the first. It's kind of a first estimate starting point. It's a very valuable estimate. But we want to step back and think about the four questions that we have open for the yield contest. And of course, we asked probably that may was the report having a corn yield above 181 and a soybean yield above 51.5. And in general, the consensus for these are pretty low. We see that users think there's about a 30% chance of USDA coming in above the 181 mark for corn. And with soybeans, it's a little bit higher. It's about 35% chance they come in above 51.5. We're going to post an article on Monday called the head of the report. And what we saw is we looked at the distribution of individual forecasts, especially the corn one. There's a lot of skew. So there's a lot of people who think there's a really low probability. And then there's some that are considerably higher. But I think the most important idea here to share with you is the pessimism we see right now in corn and soybean yield. So let's talk just about the corn yield. Of course, the idea here is the probability of the November WASI report. So kind of one of the final essence, not the final, but once we get through the growing season, what's the probability of that yield being above a trend normal yield of 181 bushels. I'm at 65%, which is what I think history would suggest. This is sort of assuming we don't know much about the growing season at this point. But when we turn on the consensus, it's about 30%. And why this is relevant is in 2020 and 2021, the consensus at this time of the year would have been closer to 60%. So what we see is we normally are at 60% this time of the year. Now we're at 30%. So there's a lot of pessimism out there about yields and where yields are going to end up for the final here in 2022. Of course, I think there's a lot of growing season left. We'll see how that continues to play out. Well, other things that are worth noting, the Federal Reserve raised short-term interest rates, 50 basis points. That was something that happened. You want to check out your forecast network questions about both how aggressive the Fed might raise rates. Here we have a question about 175 basis points, but then also what happens with those longer term rates, which we think are more relevant, more applicable to agriculture. And then we have a background question here, a new question, but also a background for the existing question. So inflation in 2022, and I think one of the things we try to capture in this article is the narrative around inflation changed very dramatically from December through the first quarter. And so in December, we talked about this, how the Fed's expectations or that inflation here in 2022, back in December, was going to be somewhere around 2.6%. And by March, however, they upped that to a median forecast of about 4.3%. What's really interesting is the range of individual forecasts completely shifted. So the most aggressive forecast in December was now below the least aggressive or the least concerned 
forecast about inflation. So a big shift. We also saw the most recent set of data coming in. They're you know consistently above six percent. So what we did in this article is we try to say what's been going on with the underlying index. And I gave an example of you know if the price sort of jumped up at one time but then stayed elevated, you know, kind of plateaued for a year, it would that step higher would be stuck in the data for about a year. And so you know really try to dig in this idea is inflation we know prices are higher than they were a year ago, but is it accelerating? Is it stable? Is it decelerating? And I guess one of the things that we saw through March is that uh, potentially accelerating. When we look at month over month changes in the PCE index, it's a little bit concerning. It's higher in March than what we saw in before. So I encourage you to take a look at that article. And again, the idea here, as long as you're thinking about inflation expectations within the forecast network, we had a question open in January about the probability of inflation in the U.S. being above 3.5% in 2022. And I think, you know, in line with what we talked about earlier, these changes in expectations, we've had to ask a new question is, what's the probability of inflation in the U.S. now getting over 6% for 2022? And PCE has been 6.1% in January, 6.3% in February, and 6.6% in March. So. Again, even when we step back and say, wow, 3.5% seems way out of line today, it was not the case just three or four months ago. So let's update our thinking and we can update the forecast network questions as a result of that. The other last piece here that I want to mention is what's driving China's surge in ag purchases? We've talked about this a lot. $36 billion in ag purchases took place in the U.S. last year, going to China, about a 25% increase over last year and a similar increase over the previous record of $29 billion back in 2013. So what really took place, we took a look at it in a couple different measurements, both over the last year over year, but also compared to that previous high. And the key takeaway here is if you would have told me at the beginning of 2021 that China was going to buy a record amount of ag purchases and it was going to come from largely, it was going to, be about 25% higher, so about $7 billion in new purchases, I would have assumed soybeans would be a very significant part of that increased purchases. Why? Because historically, soybeans have counted for 50% of China's purchases. And when we look at the data, we actually see about $4 billion of that increase came from corn, about $1.3 billion of it came from beef, and then a whole lot of other commodities increased a little bit. We saw pork activity slumped about half a billion, and we saw cotton activity slumped by half a billion. So the story here is China bought more in 2021. They bought a little more of a lot of things, a lot more of a few things, mainly corn and beef, and they bought a less of a couple of items, especially pork and cotton. The big takeaway here is the China story had in the past had been this sort of China's buying more of everything and, and the sky is the limit. And we're starting to see here that China is buying more, but they're buying more of a few things. Second of all, they're not buying more of everything. There are some commodities that go backwards. And so we got to keep all that perspective. And I guess last thing I'll mention in this article is looking at the share of China's purchases. Again, a decade ago, they bought about 50% of our soybeans, 8% of cotton. Uh, Their purchases, excuse me, their purchases a decade ago were 50% soybeans, 8% cotton, 8% forest. And so a lot of soybeans and then a little bit of a lot of other stuff. 
when we look at the situation today, there's more diversity in their purchases. And so they buy about 40% soybeans, 14% corn. Corn wasn't even in the top a decade ago. Now it's the number two spot. And then even this other category has grown. It's about 15% of total purchases, and it's just 12% of purchases in the past. So again, another shift in this China story. We're going to continue to write about this. When you take all this together, there's a kind of interesting narrative developing here. And we're still digging through the data here. But China has a fixed number of acres. They're planting less corn, or excuse me, they stopped the corn expansion. In the last few years, corn acres have trended slightly lower. And then now, you know, they're buying more corn, less pork. Soybeans haven't really changed all that much. But in doing that, they've lost market share. So keep that in mind. Lastly, one idea, one fun idea to wrap this up is the idea that makes us better. It's Liebig's Barrel. And I think Liebig's Barrel is probably an idea that all of us are familiar with. It comes oftentimes in Agronomy 101. The idea here is typically uh, productivity of a corn plant or a soybean plant is not how much yield we might have there is limited by the resource that's most constrained. And so if we keep adding more and more water, but don't put any nitrogen down, it's going to be the nitrogen that holds us back, not the water. And so, of course, Liebig's barrel is the idea of these staves and the amount of water the barrel can hold is limited to the stave that's the shortest. And so if we want to increase the capacity of the barrel or the capacity of our production system, we don't necessarily need to raise all the staves. We need to raise the staves that are the lowest. And I, I shared this and we included this this week. As a reminder, it's always, you know, there's not always a, a link to the time or the season in which we share these, but I think it's a really important lesson to keep in mind with respect to supply chains. The supply chain managers are thinking a lot about live eggs bear on the constraints that are holding back increased production. It's the theory of the minimum here. And so whatever is least available is holding up the productivity. And so in a lot of cases, this is microchips. But I also want to share here for those listening is this theory of the minimum is what also makes it really hard to predict what's going to be the ripple effect of supply chain constraints. So we might be able to think about and predict and forecast what car productivity is going to look like or microchip processing productivity is going to look like. But whenever we have supply chain constraints, it's going to be really hard to predict what's going to be that limiting factor, that lowest stave in our barrel, whatever that barrel is, that holds everything back. So with that in mind, I wish you all the best for here the first week of May. I encourage you to update your forecast about the yield expectations during the contest if you haven't joined the contest yet. And we'll, of course, update you next week with the latest and greatest. In the meantime, stay curious. Oh,